The following presentation is brought to you by the Realm Network. Buzz Burbank, news and comment. Under fire, under attack, under siege. I'll explain that headline. This is Thursday, June 15th, 2017. Thank you very much for listening and for supporting this show by using and bookmarking the Amazon links at buzzburbank.com. Under fire, under attack, and under siege. First, America is a nation under fire, already carrying the banner of the most gun-violent country on the planet. Our democratic process came under gun assault yesterday, with a congressman and a former aide still in critical condition and others wounded. America is a nation under attack by an adversarial foreign power, and key players in a defense against that attack appear to be unaware and or unconcerned. And America has a president under siege. We've just learned that the President of the United States is under investigation for obstruction of justice by the special counsel in the Russia probe. A mass shooting, by definition, is any time four or more people are shot. Yesterday, we had our 154th and 155th mass shootings of the year. In Alexandria, Virginia, not far from the U.S. Capitol in Washington, Republican lawmakers were practicing for their upcoming annual softball game against a team of Democrats. It was around 7 a.m. when a hail of gunfire began that left five people shot and others injured as they dived for cover. Two Capitol Police, providing protection for House Majority Whip Steve Scalise, were wounded while saving a lot of lives. But Scalise was also badly wounded and remains in critical condition. A former congressional aide and a congressional staffer were also wounded. The former aide is also in critical condition. The gunman, armed with a rapid-fire rifle, was wounded by Capitol Police and or Alexandria Police, and then he died in custody. He was 66-year-old James Hodgkinson from Illinois, who was known to be angry at Republicans, but especially Donald Trump. Since leaving Illinois two months ago, he'd been living out of his SUV near the YMCA, close to the scene of yesterday's shooting. Beforehand, a Republican leaving the softball field was stopped by a man who asked if the people on the field were Democrats or Republicans. It was a politically motivated shooting. We shouldn't be surprised in a society saturated with guns and following the most vicious political campaign in our memories. Hodgkinson was a staunch supporter of and possible campaign worker for Bernie Sanders. I am sickened by this despicable act, said Sanders on the floor of the Senate. Violence of any kind, he said, is unacceptable in our society, and I condemn this action in the strongest possible terms. Real change, he added, can only come about through nonviolent action. Sanders then wished Scalise a quick recovery. On social media, the debate reignited over guns. On Capitol Hill, there were more calls for more civil political discussion in this country, with lawmakers setting a good example now. And the players on the teams from the House and the Senate say the annual charity softball game that was set for today will be played, even as one of their own is on the injured list. And then came another mass shooting, the year's 155th. In San Francisco, three people were killed and two wounded when a gunman opened fire on a UPS facility. The shooter then took his own life. Police say he was armed with an assault pistol. Neither UPS nor the police are ready to talk about a motive. Welcome to a world in which the President of the United States is under siege and now under investigation. 
the very thing about which Trump asked James Comey, the very thing the president feared has come to pass. Days after Trump fired Comey on May 9th, the FBI opened a file on the question of whether Trump has engaged in obstruction of justice. On May 17th, when Robert Mueller was named special counsel to investigate the Russian attack on our election system, he took over that investigation and all others related to Trump and Russia. We're just now learning about the obstruction of justice probe. The President of the United States is the subject of a criminal investigation of obstruction, in addition to investigations into possible collusion between the Trump campaign and Russia and into the financial dealings of Trump associates. The Washington Post, which broke the obstruction investigation story with five sources, says this news, quote, marks a major turning point in the overall investigation. The FBI is interviewing several intelligence officials, including National Intelligence Director Dan Coats and National Security Agency Chief Mike Rogers, and that former deputy to Rogers as well. Others may have been interviewed. But Coates is of particular interest since he reportedly told associates Trump had asked him to pressure Comey to quash the Russia investigation. Coates refused to admit or talk about that when he testified to congressional investigators last week. The White House says the Post story is the result of an illegal FBI leak. But the sources could have come from the interviewees themselves or people close to them, as often happens when people are questioned by any investigators. Mueller also has the notes taken by James Comey about meetings in which Trump reportedly asked for loyalty and asked Comey to let the Mike Flynn part of the Russia investigation go. So what's next? The Justice Department says it does not pursue charges in an investigation of the president. Only the Republican-controlled Congress can do that, and it is not yet swayed to do so. Appalling and detestable lies and innuendo. That's what embattled Attorney General Jeff Sessions had to say about James Comey's implication that Sessions recused himself from the Russia probe because he was a person of interest in the investigation. I recused myself, Sessions told the Senate Intelligence Committee, from any investigation into the campaign, but I did not recuse myself from defending my honor against scurrilous and false accusations. Sessions insisted he did not collude with Russia and that he knows of no one in the administration who did. There were a lot of things Sessions couldn't remember, including whether or not he'd had that third meeting with Sergei Kislyak. Those who've met Kislyak say he's a large man and hard to miss and hard to forget. Other things Sessions remembered clearly and confidently, like the meeting with Comey in which Sessions says Comey didn't tell why he was uncomfortable being left alone with Trump, even though Sessions says they did discuss Justice Department rules about such a meeting. Sessions would not reconcile his claim Comey was fired for his handling of the Russia investigation with Trump's claim that the firing was over Russia. Although Sessions says Comey was fired after a bad performance review, Sessions revealed he never once told Comey about his concerns about the director's performance. Sessions also angrily denied that he'd violated his recusal from the Russia investigation by recommending the firing of its top investigator. Sessions said it's his job to make all big personnel decisions. There were a lot of things Sessions wouldn't say, including anything he and Trump have said to each other. Senate investigators tried to get Sessions to admit the president was invoking executive privilege through Sessions' refusal to answer many questions. Sessions said he wasn't disclosing conversations with the president pursuant to long-standing Justice Department rules about that. He was asked to provide a copy of those rules, and he said he would. 
Under oath, Sessions did not claim his answer was classified. He did not claim executive privilege. He did not plead the fifth. He just wouldn't answer. And like Trump's national intelligence director and his national security director last week, Sessions refused to answer why he wouldn't answer. It was a use of executive privilege without actually invoking it. Sessions said he did this in case Trump decides to invoke it in the future. Democrats demanded that until that happens, Sessions answer. It didn't work. Experts say this might be executive privilege in the future has been done before and that it is a constitutional gray area. One thing we do know, executive privilege cannot be invoked to avoid a criminal investigation, such as the one the president is now under. Democratic interrogators accused Sessions of stonewalling. I am not stonewalling, said Sessions. Among the most shocking moments, Sessions revealed he and Trump have not spoken once about Russia's multi-pronged cyber attacks on the 2016 campaign. Sessions revealed he gets no briefings about that attack, that he only knows what he reads in the papers. He said he would have nothing to do with a firing of special counsel Robert Mueller. Deputy Attorney General Rod Rosenstein, when he testified, promised to defend the integrity of the special counsel investigation and that he would refuse a presidential order to fire Mr. Mueller. He can do that. Justice Department rules say he can only fire a special counsel for good cause, despite any presidential order. But a president has the power to fire the deputy, just as Nixon did when he fired the deputy and the attorney general. So what if that were to happen? Rosenstein said he hoped it didn't come to that, but that he'd look into who's next in the chain of command. Donald Trump has reason to be more concerned than ever about his ability to hold on to the presidency. When former FBI Director James Comey testified under oath just last week before the Senate Intelligence Committee, he slipped out a couple of investigative gems. For one thing, Comey revealed that in one of his phone calls with Trump, the president announced out of the blue that he had nothing to do with Russian hookers. The allegation that he did is in the dossier prepared by a reliable British spy named Christopher Steele, large parts of which have since been verified by U.S. investigators. Comey's revelation of Trump's answer to a question he hadn't been asked opens the door for the FBI and the special counsel to investigate the entire dossier, including the salacious parts. It allows the special counsel to investigate Trump personally, the very thing he fears since he did ask Comey if he was being investigated several times. If the president wasn't under investigation before, experts say he most certainly is now, all thanks to Trump's own mention of the hookers. Now that Comey's memos on his Trump meetings are in the hands of special counsel Bob Mueller, Comey believes an obstruction of justice investigation is now also underway, and that has now been confirmed. And Comey made it clear last week that Trump had lied to him, that Trump had lied to the FBI about his connections to Russia and his visit there in 2013 for a Miss Universe pageant. Senator Dianne Feinstein is asking the head of her Senate Judiciary Committee to investigate obstruction of justice by the president in the firing of James Comey, which Trump did, admitting on TV that he fired Comey because of the Russia probe. Feinstein also wants to investigate obstruction charges for Trump's national intelligence director and his national security director, who blatantly refused to answer questions about Trump's firing before a committee last week and refused to say why they wouldn't answer. The American people, said Feinstein, deserve answers. A new public policy survey shows that nearly half the American people believe Trump has obstructed justice. Trump waited until Friday 
before taking back the spotlight from Jim Comey, breaking his silence on that testimony. It started at 6 a.m. on Twitter. Trump claimed that Comey's testimony had both vindicated him and was packed with lies. And then he added, wow, Comey's a leaker, referring to Comey's testimony about his own personal notes. Trump continued his counter-assault in an afternoon press conference. Asked about Comey's testimony, he said, no collusion, no obstruction, he's a leaker. Trump went on to brazenly offer to talk with the special counsel investigating Trump Russia and to testify under oath. The Senate Intelligence Committee has now extended an invitation for that. Defense lawyers across the country cringed knowing that Trump had said too much. As for Comey's testimony about multiple requests for loyalty, Trump told reporters, I didn't say that, adding, there would be nothing wrong if I did say that. But who would do that? Trump still refuses to say whether there are or are not tapes of the Comey meetings, but he says he'll reveal it soon. Congressional investigators, meanwhile, are demanding those tapes if they exist. Always dramatic, Trump says he'll reveal soon whether they exist rather than just answer the question. But he also said, you're going to be very disappointed. Trump's own lawyer, meanwhile, threatened to file a complaint with the Justice Department about Comey talking about his conversations with the president. The thing is, Comey doesn't work for the Justice Department anymore, so he can't be disciplined. The most they can do is put a note in his file in case he ever works for the government again. And since he broke no laws, he can't be charged with anything. No one would have known this better than Comey himself. And Trump has a long history of using this lawyer to threaten lawsuits that almost never come to pass. Should Trump have even spoken with Comey privately in the first place? No, says House Speaker Paul Ryan, who adds, the president is new at this. He's just new at this. The Republican enabling of Trump continues. So how many Trump supporters are there now? Fewer than there used to be. I mentioned at the end of my special report on the Comey testimony last Thursday, a new poll that Trump's disapproval rating had hit a new high of 57%, with 51% saying they strongly disapprove. But to the question of Trump's base, only one in four people polled by Quinnipiac University said they approve strongly. That's down from 37% last month. Among his enthusiastic base, that one in three has now dropped to one in four. And that was before the Comey testimony. Nearly seven in ten of us, by the way, said we are somewhat or very concerned about Trump's ties to Russia. Nearly two-thirds of us think Trump's done something either illegal or unethical. Nearly two-thirds disapprove of his decision to pull out of the Paris Climate Accord, which matches the recent ABC News Washington Post survey. Trump's base remains very happy with him, but Trump's base is a shrinking minority. Trump went to his base on the eve of the Comey testimony to launch his trillion-dollar infrastructure program, or at least to promise that it's coming. Trump did not talk to his supporters about Comey or Russia. He did mention the coal miners, again, bolstering an industry that was dying well before the Paris Climate Accord. Trump also told his supporters on that visit to Ohio last week that, quote, the Democrats are really in our way on repealing and replacing Obamacare. He called them obstructionists. Trump again used the phrase, the disaster known as Obamacare, and said insurance companies are fleeing that marketplace. The companies say they're pulling out over the uncertainty created by the Republican plan to repeal and replace the Affordable Care Act. Trump referred to Obamacare victims when polls show that most people now favor it and even more people are against the Republican plans they've heard so far. 
74% of the people who use those marketplace plans rate them good to excellent. The number of uninsured Americans just hit a record low, just under 11%. But in Ohio, Trump added the American people are paying much more for much worse coverage. A nonpartisan report on the Senate's Trump Publican Replacement Plan says that plan will throw 24 million people off health insurance and cut coverage with even higher premiums for millions. The plan would leave 51 million people uninsured, double the current number. Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell says the Trump Care bill still doesn't have enough votes to pass, even with a Republican majority. And on the day of Comey's testimony, Trump spoke to a conservative religious group, the Faith and Freedom Coalition. He told his audience, we are under siege. You understand that. But we will come out bigger and better and stronger than ever. Just you watch. You picked a winner. Some Twitter users are suing Trump for blocking them, and they're demanding to be unblocked. They say his Twitter account is a public forum and that as the government, Trump cannot constitutionally exclude people because he disagrees with their views, no matter how colorfully those views are expressed. They say Trump is denying them their right to free speech. Amid all the drama in the Russia investigation, Trump's incoherent tweet about Kofefe will not soon be forgotten. Democratic Congressman Mike Quigel of Illinois has introduced a bill in Washington that would require the social media posts of all presidents to be preserved as official government records. Elected officials, says Quigel, must answer for what they do and say to maintain public trust in government. And just last week, Trump Press Secretary Sean Spicer did say his boss's tweets are to be taken as official statements. So Mike Quigel of Illinois has introduced a bill to put those statements into our permanent record. He calls his bill the Covfefe Act. Hawaii may be the 50th state, but last week it became the 10th state to sign on to the Paris Climate Accord. Trump policy be damned. But Hawaii was the first state in the country to actually pass legislation to seal the deal. As a nation of islands, Hawaii is deeply concerned about rising oceans and nastier and more frequent hurricanes. Not to mention the effect on Hawaii's fishing industry. The more carbon dioxide in the air, the more acidic the ocean. The more acidic the ocean, the fewer organisms that keep fish alive. And Hawaii strongly believes in man-made climate change that's overheating the planet. Trump has called global warming a hoax. In his short time in office, Trump has worked to reverse environmental regulations and encouraged offshore drilling and coal mining. Hawaii sees itself as the canary in that coal mine. Quoting the governor, we are the testing grounds. We are especially aware of the limits of our natural environment. So by law, Hawaii has joined other states, cities, and corporations in signing on to the Paris Accord. Trump policy be damned. And then on Monday, two states took on Trump head-on. The attorneys general of both Maryland and D.C. filed a lawsuit against Trump, accusing him of violating the Constitution's emoluments clause by accepting foreign payments through his personal business, especially through the hotel Trump runs out of a federally-owned building. The emoluments clause says a person holding an office of trust cannot accept payments from foreign governments without the consent of Congress. No such consent has been asked or given. But the law doesn't specifically include the president as other clauses in the Constitution do. And the Supreme Court has never ruled on whether that clause applies to this office. Logic dictates that it would. The D.C. Maryland lawsuit accuses the president of failing to truly separate himself from his businesses 
and accuses him of still profiting from those businesses. Remaining as the owner of his business, foreign governments have easy legal ways to funnel money to Trump to curry favor. In their lawsuits, the state and the district are demanding to see Trump's tax returns, which would be necessary proof for whether he does or does not have those conflicts of interest. Because such a lawsuit is required to show harm, both Maryland and D.C. say in their lawsuit they are financially harmed by Trump's facilities that drain customers from properties owned by Maryland and D.C. Trump's Justice Department had already asked a federal judge in New York to dismiss a similar lawsuit there filed by a hotel and restaurant owner and other people claiming to be hurt by this Trump advantage. Trump's DOJ says the law does not prohibit a president from owning a business even though that business does attract foreigners looking to please this president for future favors. Trump gets millions in lease payments from China. Turkey paid millions for its airline's annual golf tournament in April at one of Trump's clubs in Maryland. Kuwait held its National Day celebration at Trump's hotel in D.C. Trump's Justice Department says there's no law against the president having an existing business so long as he charges fair market prices. The Trump Organization promised to track the money it makes from foreign governments and to donate that money to the U.S. Treasury, but at last check there was no accounting of those foreign dollars. Now nearly 200 congressional Democrats have filed a similar lawsuit. Republicans have been invited to sign on, but none have so far. A nation under attack. In the Russian attack of our election, the news keeps getting worse. Russia's last-minute attempts to get into states' voter registration rolls were more expansive than we thought. Early reports said 22 states. That number's now up to 39, about four out of every five states. We've learned that in Illinois, hackers tried to change and delete voter data. We learned that a campaign finance database was hacked in another state. We learned that key electoral states were hit after hearing Comey say last week that these attacks would continue. The attacks the Attorney General only knows, he says, from what he reads in the papers. The attack the President has never asked Sessions about and never asked Comey about. The attack the President calls fake news, despite its confirmation by all of our intelligence agencies. We also learned this week how ill-prepared the U.S. is to defend itself against future cyber attacks. And in the words of James Comey, they're coming after America. They will be back. More about that attack from Bob Seska in the next segment and what it may have to do with Edward Snowden, plus the healthcare scramble and more after this. It is very, very important that you show your support for this newscast by doing as much of your shopping as possible, especially for Father's Day, and it's not too late, through my Amazon links at buzzburbank.com. You'll land right on your very own Amazon page and get the same great prices as always. If you believe in what I'm doing here, what we're doing together, it's extremely important. You go to buzzburbank.com, click on that link, and then bookmark the page to make it one of your favorites. Whether you're already a Prime member or you're shopping Amazon for the first time, just going through that link, even that first time, helps sustain this program. Amazon has nearly everything you need right to your door and in two days or less for Prime members. I can't say enough about how much I enjoy Amazon Prime Video, which comes with the Prime membership, along with music and books and more. And please, use my Amazon link if you make purchases for your office, school, church, or some other organization. To those of you who already shopped through my link, thank you. 
And if Amazon's not right for you, you can also support this program by simply clicking on the PayPal button just below the Amazon button in the upper right corner at buzzburbank.com. Healthcare. Trump celebrated earlier this year when the Republican-controlled House voted to repeal and replace Obamacare with a plan that would deny health insurance to 24 million people while giving the rich a major tax break. Trump praised that bill, calling it a great plan with great features. We want to brag about that plan, he said. Now, Senate Republicans are scrambling to put a repeal and replace bill on Trump's desk and to assemble that bill in secret, behind closed doors, where Republicans are fighting among themselves about what they will or will not support. The Senate bill was to have already been ready by now, but it isn't. And now we're hearing it could still be a few weeks away. Or longer. Because Trump threw another wrench in the works this week by flip-flopping on the House health care bill that he had praised. Trump now calls that bill mean. So in Trump's mind, the House bill isn't great after all. It's mean. And he's now urged senators to come up with one that's more generous, kind, with heart. But that's the last thing the most conservative Republicans want. And it'll be tough to be more generous since the House bill says the final bill has to save the government $133 billion. And Democrats won't support any bill that repeals Obamacare. Trump's taken to calling Democrats obstructionists over this. Trump has and is taking a hands-off approach so senators will have to figure this out on their own. It's a do-or-die moment, and people are scrambling to either pass or kill the latest attempt at erasing Obamacare. Following Wall Street's assault on the economy, a law went up across the land to keep it from happening again. This law, designed to protect people, is called Dodd-Frank. While the attention was on the Comey hearing, the House passed a bill to remove some of the protections that were put into place in response to Wall Street's massive misdeeds. Not a single Democrat voted to gut Dodd-Frank. All but one Republican voted yes. Trump and Republicans think these honesty rules are bad for business. Paul Ryan calls the bill to eliminate Dodd-Frank a jobs bill. But the planned gutting may not make it through the Senate, where Republicans have a slimmer majority. Any plan that would pass the Senate will have to be much less severe than the one passed by the House. But even this isn't over yet, and what senators hear from their constituents could keep the protections of Dodd-Frank in place. Hint, hint. The Fed raised interest rates by a quarter percent yesterday, showing stronger confidence in the economy. On its quarterly review, the Federal Reserve moved from 1% to one and a quarter, the third consecutive quarterly increase. Rates were dropped to rock-bottom prices after the 2008 Wall Street crisis to encourage borrowing. The Fed is now encouraged that unemployment has dropped from 10% in 2009 to 4.3% today, the lowest it's been in 16 years. Inflation is running at a nearly okay 2%. By 2008, after Wall Street movers and shakers had raped our economy, the Obama administration made sure that if somebody gets screwed, the little guy gets paid back first. In the sale of toxic mortgage bonds, the money won by Justice Department lawsuits first goes to homeowners instead of to the investors who had gambled and lost. Often, part of the settlement money would go to third parties as a kind of community service punishment for corporations. Seven and a half million dollars in a J.P. Morgan Chase civil suit went to a cause dedicated to helping people avoid the kind of fraud the big banks had committed. 
That $7.5 million went toward financial education programs sponsored by the American Bankruptcy Institute. When the government settled with Volkswagen AG for cheating on emissions tests, nearly two and three quarters billion dollars went to pay for projects to clean up the infrastructure, and another two billion went to research for electric cars. Stuck with a do-nothing-for-Obama Congress, that administration also funneled settlement money to groups the Republican Congress had defunded, including the Urban League. The Trump administration hates this. Republicans call these financial diversions a slush fund. Troubled Attorney General Jeff Sessions says the Justice Department will no longer allow settlement money from big, law-breaking corporations to go to making the world a better place. Quoting the troubled Jeff Sessions, funds should go first to the victims, not to bankroll third-party special interest groups or the political friends of whoever's in power. Any money that doesn't go to the victims or compensation would then go back into the U.S. Treasury under this new plan. The next time a big corporation dumps pollutants into our air or water, none of the settlement money can go to the people trying to clean up the mess. Afghan border policemen are our partners in fighting the Taliban and now ISIS in America's longest war. Recently, two of those Afghan border guards were accidentally killed in an American airstrike. The U.S. military apologized for the deaths. But soon afterward, over the weekend, three U.S. soldiers were killed by an Afghan soldier who was then shot to death by other American troops. The war that's dragged on for over 16 years has taken 26,000 civilian lives, injured 29,000 others, and tapped taxpayers for nearly $2.5 trillion. 8,000 American soldiers remain in Afghanistan fighting a war that many believe is unwinnable for us and it appears we're sending more troops. But the commander-in-chief won't be putting young men and women in harm's way this time. At least it won't be up to him to decide how many. He's handed off that responsibility to the Pentagon, which can now deploy up to 5,000 more U.S. troops to Afghanistan and hundreds more special ops personnel in addition to the nearly 10,000 Americans already there. Trump's granted the Pentagon the authority to manage troop levels in the war that's dragged on for 17 years, that's taken thousands of American lives and spent trillions of American dollars. And stepping up that 17-year war appears to be where we're headed. Defense Secretary James Mattis told lawmakers this week, we are not winning in Afghanistan right now. Mattis scolded the Senate Armed Services Committee for not getting him more money. They scolded him for an administration without a strategy to win in Afghanistan. On Monday, yet another federal appeals court turned down the Trump administration request to allow implementation of his Muslim ban. That ban has also been halted by a federal appeals court in Virginia and by a circuit court in Seattle. And although Trump vowed to take this to the new conservative-held Supreme Court, its chances there are diminished after he publicly called for taking the ban back to its original form, which included even more religious discrimination than the current plan, which he calls watered down. One way to get less educated Americans to fear the Muslims in this country is to make them afraid of Sharia law, Islam's version of the Ten Commandments that critics say discriminates against women. But the main thing Sharia law says is be friendly, show love, and feed the poor. For many Muslim Americans, it's more of a personal code than an actual law, and most Muslims in the U.S. do not practice Sharia. Although there are Islamic tribunals in the U.S. to handle family disputes, there are no courts of law here. 
Mostly they give advice and sign off on divorces granted by a real American judge. So there is no Sharia law in the U.S. despite claims to the contrary by Muslim hate groups. And there cannot be Sharia law in the U.S. even if it were a bad thing. To implement Sharia law would be a violation of church and state separation. And experts say there is no legal way to implement Sharia law in the first place. Nevertheless, there were nearly two dozen rallies over the weekend under the banner March Against Sharia. The rallies were organized by the hate group Act for America, and frightened Americans did turn out to take that stand. But in most places, the protesters were far outnumbered by counter-protesters, and there was some trouble, including hurled water bottles and police pepper spray, a few arrests in Seattle, Washington, St. Paul, Minnesota, and in Pennsylvania. And some of the anti-Sharia law protesters around the mosque in Richardson, Texas, brought their guns with them. And although the protesters were outnumbered, no minds were changed that day about Sharia law. And this year's Los Angeles Gay Pride Parade was less outlandish and more outraged, as this year's outing was also a march for the resistance against Trump that included the sign, We Shall Overcome. In that march, they also remembered the victims and survivors of the terrorist attack a year ago Monday on a gay nightclub in Orlando. In Orlando itself, they remembered the 49 people killed in the worst mass shooting in U.S. history. Church and government alike rang bells 49 times in what was billed as a day of love and kindness. Some survivors of the attack did not attend, saying that the memories were still too fresh and too painful. There were also protests in Russia over the weekend again in opposition to the corruption of Putin and his government. Those protests also included scuffles with police, tear gas was used by police, and nearly 1,400 people were arrested in big protests all across Russia. And the leader of those protests, already the victim of multiple attacks, was arrested for staging an unapproved demonstration, and he was jailed for 30 days. That leader, Alexei Novotny, says Putin has not only stolen the country, but because of the jail sentence, stolen Novotny's chance to see Depeche Mode in concert. Novotny knows he'll be out in time to run against Putin in next year's Russian presidential election. Although there appears to be no connection, former NBA star Dennis Rodman was flying to North Korea just as a comatose American was flying home after nearly a year and a half in a North Korean prison. 23-year-old University of Virginia student Otto Warmbier was just leaving North Korea early last year when he spotted a Kim Jong-il poster, Il, the father of Kim Jong-un. A friend back home had told Otto if he could bring back one of those posters, that friend would give Otto a used car in exchange. North Korea forced Otto to confess on video, and it was that video that prompted President Obama to put more sanctions on North Korea. North Korea says Otto fell ill shortly after his imprisonment. But North Korea has a history of brutalizing prisoners. A previous American captive says women clubbed his genitals repeatedly, screaming at him to kill himself. He says he considered it, but now he too is back home. Otto Warmbier's parents say their son's been in a coma for over a year. Being in a coma will keep anyone from hearing what happened to him. Three Americans remain in North Korean prisons. Dennis Rodman, who sang happy birthday to that country's brutal dictator three years ago, says he has returned to open a door 
and that his friend from Celebrity Apprentice, Donald Trump, would probably appreciate it. In other news of international relations, just days after calling out the Middle Eastern nation of Qatar for sponsoring terrorism, Trump has just authorized selling Qatar $12 billion in weapons. Last week on this program, Salon.com writer and Realm Network commentator Bob Seska reported on how money for a children's cancer charity was being funneled to Donald Trump through his son Eric. Since then, we have learned the New York State Attorney General's office is looking into the Eric Trump Foundation through which that money was funneled. It was actually because of attention on social media to the article from Forbes.com that broke the story about Trump essentially profiting from donations meant for a charity for kids with cancer. The New York AG's office began investigating the Donald J. Trump Foundation several months ago. Now it's investigating Eric's foundation as well. Eric's charity, unlike his father's, has raised over $16 million for St. Jude's Children's Research Hospital and says it intends to cooperate with the New York State Attorney General's investigation. When you have compromising information about someone, they are compromised. A compromised public official might have to do whatever he's told by the holder of that compromising information. The Russian word for that is compromat. Is that a factor in the Russian cyber attack on the presidential campaign? And does Edward Snowden figure into this? With evidence and thoughts, here's Salon.com writer Bob Seska. Thank you, Buzz. Back in 2014, we learned that the National Security Agency, the NSA, could activate the cameras and microphones on the laptops and smartphones of surveillance targets. The news went like so, according to Glenn Greenwald at The Intercept. Quote, NSA has sent out spam emails laced with malware, which can be tailored to covertly record audio from a computer's microphone and take snapshots with its webcam. Unquote. The digital weapon for taking over a camera is called Gumfish, while the code name for taking over a microphone was reported to be Captivated Audience, all one word. We learned all of this via the documents stolen by former NSA analyst Edward Snowden and handed off to journalists Barton Gelman, Laura Poitras, and Glenn Greenwald. You probably also heard that Snowden absconded off with the documents at first to Hong Kong, and then, thanks to WikiLeaks and its staff, Snowden was shuttled to Moscow, where he remains a welcome guest of the Kremlin. This week, we learned that Russia has used similar active measures to potentially acquire compromising data on 2,300 media and political officials inside the United States. Politico reported that hackers had the ability to turn on microphones and cameras on the personal devices of their targets to obtain sensitive information about their personal lives. This revelation was buried at the end of a lengthy article about how Russia also targeted American military personnel with online propaganda and the like. It's safe to say that most of America's power elite have been targeted for compromat by Russian intelligence. It's not a surprise to those who understand the extent of Russia's spycraft, but what stood out for me was the camera microphone thing. Sure, it's entirely possible that Russian hackers developed this active measure on their own, but it also makes sense to take another hard look at Snowden and whether the information he stole while working as an NSA analyst at Booz Allen Hamilton in Hawaii has been snatched by his Kremlin benefactors. Reports suggest that Snowden didn't transport his documents to Russia, leaving the thumb drives with Greenwald and Poitras. But the British Sunday Times ran a story back in 2015, followed up by an article by Bruce Schneer for Wired magazine. 
indicating that it's almost certain that both China and Russia were able to attain Snowden's cache of NSA secrets, including details about gum fish and captivated audience. Senior British officials told the Times that MI6, England's CIA, had to, quote, pull agents out of live operations in hostile countries due to Russia having copies of the Snowden files. Could it be possible that Russia is exploiting some of the techniques gleaned from the Snowden documents in order to carry out this extensive attack on the United States, including our top officials and, of course, our election and the presidency? At this point, anything's possible. To repeat, Snowden was escorted to Moscow by WikiLeaks, which is obviously a Russian asset. While in Hong Kong, Snowden lived for several days at the Russian consulate, where officials there even threw a birthday pizza party for the fugitive. After that, and after WikiLeaks shepherded Snowden to Moscow, where Putin personally granted him asylum, Snowden picked up an attorney by the name of Anatoly Kucherena, a lawyer for the Russian Federal Security Service, also known as the FSB. The FSB was formerly known as the KGB. Obviously, Snowden employed his best operational security measures to hide his location and to protect his trove of NSA PowerPoint slides. However, Russian hackers had plenty of breathing room in which to work on infiltrating Snowden's laptops well before the 2016 election cycle got underway. And if they were successful, they'd know exactly how to turn America's counterintelligence operations against both American assets and our democratic institutions. At the very least, Russian hackers know the extent of various operations simply through the public reporting on the Snowden matter. I'm not necessarily saying Snowden is or was a willing accomplice in the Trump-Russia story, but knowing the extent of Russia's attack, we have no choice but to examine whether Americans, be they the Trump team or other useful idiots, helped the Kremlin pull off the most damaging cyber attack ever orchestrated against the United States. I'm Bob Seska for Buzz Burbank News and Comment. Thanks, Bob. Catch him every Tuesday and Thursday on The Bob Seska Show here at RealmNetwork.com. And I'm proud to be one of the regular guests on that program. I'll see you there Tuesday. The state health director for the state of Michigan has been charged with involuntary manslaughter over the lead poisoning of Flint's water that killed 12 people. He could get 15 years in prison for that. Nick Lyon also faces a felony charge, misconduct in office. The state's chief medical executive is now charged with obstruction of justice and lying. Eleven other officials face charges as well, but more minor. The charges were filed by Michigan's attorney general and okayed by a district court judge. Michigan is now spending $87 million to replace Flint's contaminated water pipes with a deadline of January 2020. Newly elected Congressman Greg Gianforte of Montana will not be going to jail on his way to Washington. Gianforte physically assaulted and injured a reporter the night before a special election that would elect him to replace Ryan Zinke, who's now Trump's interior secretary. Bright and early Monday morning, Gianforte was in a Montana courtroom to face the assault charges. He didn't get jail. Instead, after pleading guilty to a misdemeanor assault charge, Gianforte was sentenced to a six-month jail term he won't have to serve if he stays out of trouble. To make sure he stays out of trouble, the court has ordered him to complete 20 hours of anger management classes. He will also have to do 40 hours of community service and pay the reporter damages of nearly $5,000. If he does all of those things, Greg Gianforte won't have to go to jail instead of going to work in D.C. for the Republicans. If he fails to do these things, it's off to jail.
The loss of Adam West. No one at the wheel at Uber. You didn't want to smoke it, did you? And all the fun stuff in the third and final segment up next. Happy ears. That's what you'll have when you pop in a brand new pair of earbuds from tweakedaudio.com, especially the new Hegon Sport earbuds with silicone caps to help them stay in place. They're water-resistant with a tangle-free cord and a travel pouch. Like other Tweaked Audio products, the Hegon Sports Buds include an inline mic, a gold-plated plug, and, of course, extra ear gels. The Hegons are orange and gray, but Tweaked Audio's other earbuds come in a range of colors and materials, including wood, you can even get buds in sets of two or three. And Tweaked Audio earbuds just sound better. You certainly can't beat the prices for this level of quality, guaranteed. And the shipping is free anywhere in the world. And because everything sounds better on Tweaked Audio earbuds, you can get an extra one-third off their already great prices if you check out with the code BBNC at tweakedaudio.com. Thank you for supporting this news through tweakedaudio.com, all my other great sponsors, and through the donate button at buzzburbank.com. There are a lot of openings these days at Uber, especially at the top of the company. CEO Travis Kalanick is taking a leave of absence. The company's plagued with reputation-devastating problems, including sexual harassment, discrimination, and bullying. Kalanick says the ultimate responsibility rests on my shoulders. Kalanick himself had come under fire for his vicious comments to one of his drivers for his attempts to get revenge under reporters who wrote unfavorable stories about Uber for these latest scandals and more. Kalanick says he's going away for a bit now to reinvent himself. I need to work on Travis 2.0 to become the leader this company needs and deserves. Kalanick didn't have much choice. Uber's board of directors has pushed him out and says his role when he returns won't be as big as it was. It was only a day later that a member of that very board would resign after making a sexist remark at a meeting on the heels of a sexual harassment scandal. When board member Ariana Huffington suggested adding another woman to the board, fellow board member David Bonderman responded, It's much more likely to be more talking. Companies may be more careful about who they hire to make their robocalls after this. Over the past week, Dish Network was fined $280 million for violating the National Do Not Call Registry in millions and millions of unsolicited phone calls. Dish Network objected, saying the calls were made by independent contractors it had hired. But the judge didn't buy that, saying Dish's reckless decision to use anyone with a call center without vetting or meaningful supervision, demonstrates a disregard for the public. The judge scolded Dish Network for denying any responsibility. And the Federal Trade Commission, which brought the lawsuit against Dish, adds companies will pay a hefty price for violating consumers' privacy with unwanted calls. Part of the settlement will be divided among consumers in four states, California, Illinois, Ohio, and North Carolina, DirecTV had paid a $5 million fine for this in 2005. Caribbean Cruise Line settled for $76 million. Dish Network says its $280 million fine is therefore unfair, but the FTC says it could have been $500 million. You cannot have your marijuana and smoke it too. That's the notable difference in Florida's new medical marijuana law. Legalization of medical marijuana in the Sunshine State happened because 71% of Floridians voted for it in the November election. 
Since then, the Republican-controlled state legislature worked on the details and then passed it just as overwhelmingly. Governor Rick Scott said he would absolutely sign it. The law allows people with 10 specific diseases or chronic pain from any of those diseases to get all forms of marijuana. Chronic pain alone isn't enough. It's got to be chronic pain from one of those 10 diseases. And users cannot smoke it. It has to be an oil or an edible or a vapor, even though 90% of all patients do smoke it. Baby steps. Lawsuits are already being filed to make Florida's medical marijuana laws look a bit more like those in other states. Want to think outside the box? Go wash your hands first. A new study found that the act of washing your hands has a surprising effect on our brains. Researchers at the University of Toronto found that hand washing leads to more flexible thinking. Strangely, it makes reorienting your goals easier. A cleansing wipe, not so much. A little, but not the amazing results researchers found with the old soap and water ritual. Bad ideas go right down the drain. Stuck on a problem? Wash up before proceeding. It's like a reset button for your brain. But if you're feeling guilty about something, take a shower. Earlier studies showed that showers reduce guilt after an immoral act. The supermarket chain Aldi, third biggest in America, is growing organically. From two big announcements this past week, we learned Aldi plans to build 700 new stores across the U.S., bringing its total to 2,500. Recently, Aldi announced it's remodeling the vast majority of its 1,600 stores over the next couple of years. The expansion means 25,000 new jobs. And although Aldi built its name on low prices, it's gone nearly totally organic, antibiotic-free with sustainable foods and minus the artificial colors. Already in 35 states and growing, Aldi currently ranks third behind Albertsons and its subsidiaries and Kroger with its subsidiaries. POW. We learned Saturday that our beloved Adam West, the original Batman that reveled in the fun of the comic books, had died at 88. In an age of darker nights, his family said Adam West liked to think of himself as the bright knight. West's family included his wife, his six children, five grandchildren, and two great-grandchildren. He was just at Comic-Con back in October, but leukemia appeared afterward and took him quickly. West wasn't known for his great acting skills, but he was great, nevertheless, the perfect guy for a campy role. And he was smart. Before he got ill, he talked about wanting to do a movie in which he'd play an old codger who complains a lot and is, quote, rankly misinformed. In West's bucket list movie, he wanted us to learn that character had had a terrible tragedy in his life. I want to get my teeth into something that might be more truthful, he said. He never got to do that, but he did produce a new Batman cartoon for kids, along with Burt Ward and Julie Newmar, to bring back The Bright Knight. And a brighter night is what Adam West leaves behind. Wonder Woman was again the top movie in North America this week with another $57 million in tickets. Tom Cruise's The Mummy was a strong second at over $32 million, while Captain Underpants fell from number two to number three. What's new this week? For theaters and showtimes, previews, tickets, and so much more, and to support this free news, please use and bookmark the Fandango link you'll find at buzzburbank.com. They had so many narcotics in their vehicle, they couldn't close the back hatch. 
Those are the words of Houston Area Sheriff's Lieutenant Ruben Diaz, who just arrested a man and a woman who were making lollipops attractive to children. Lollipops that contain meth. Something only slightly worse for your teeth than meth itself. The multicolored lollies included images of Batman and characters from Star Wars. Officers responding to burglary calls when they found two people caring about 600 pounds of this candied killer from their home to their overflowing hatchback. There's evidence they made the meth lollipops in their kitchen. Rhode Island State Representative Ramon Perez sits on his state's House Finance Committee, and they were working on a bill that set up a special fund to compensate licensed drivers who get into car wrecks with unlicensed drivers. As he prepared to testify last week, Perez handed out a printed computer screenshot featuring an article about a similar law in Puerto Rico. Representative Perez didn't notice, but other committee members did, that the screenshot also featured open tabs at the top of the computer's browser. The open tabs were for porn sites, highlighting brunettes and younger models. Perez had the clerk immediately round up those printed copies and return the next day with printed matter that didn't include open tabs for porn. Perez has apologized and taken full responsibility, even though the screenshot had been sent to him by someone else who supports his bill. Now, says Perez, everyone's looking at me differently. The people in a neighborhood in Canberra, Australia, were willing to let their electricity go for a bit to save a kitten. In fact, they practically demanded that the electric company shut down so that a kitten could be rescued from the top of an electrical pole. So after most people had had their evening meal, the lights went off and stayed off for an hour while the kitty, who had become a social media sensation and a community cause, could be safely lowered to the ground. Before bedtime, the power was back on, the kitten lived to climb another day. At six months of age, a German shepherd named Gavel was passed over for a job with the Australian Canine Police, even though he was pedigreed from a long line of very good cop dogs. Gavel was too friendly to be fierce. He was born for an even higher calling. Gavel is now the country's vice-regal dog and serves at the government house in Queensland. And he's very good at it. In a cute dog video on YouTube, its owner shows how Khaleesi, the bulldog, enjoys watching horror movies and how she barks to warn people in the movie of impending danger, especially children. The video features Khaleesi trying to help out in 2013's The Conjuring. Why did the alligator cross the runway just as a plane was landing? Answer? Florida. By the account of another pilot, an 11-foot gator was crossing runway 725 at a small airport known as Orlando Executive. The pilot of a Navajo was bringing her in when the gator jumped up and hit the wing of the plane. The plane was damaged. The gator was killed instantly. There have been four gator plane collisions at Orlando International in the last 20 years, one of them as recently as last fall. Quoting the witness to this latest, one of the craziest things I've ever seen in all my years of aviation. In his words, welcome to Florida, folks. Tourists and locals alike are being warned about fake money that at first glance looks like the real thing. Key West police report that people are being scammed with movie money. Movie money spells dollars with a B instead of a D. Ballers. And instead of United States of America, they say in the same font and color, for motion picture use only. 
Still, those dollars are, or ballers are being used, and some people have been fooled. Thank you, Florida. Is that motor oil in your pants, or do you have a condition? From the home office in Florida comes news of the arrest of a man who'd left a 7-Eleven with legs thicker than the ones that carried him in. Police say 38-year-old William Jason Hall had 15 quart bottles of motor oil in his trousers. Oh, and 30 DVDs. The whole caper would have normally gotten a person a misdemeanor for petty theft, but for William Jason Hall, it was a third offense, so now it's a felony. The thicker legs were noticed by the plainclothes sheriff's detective parked outside the 7-Eleven. Also from Orlando, 28-year-old Jonathan Hinkle was desperate when he called 911. Hinkle said his grandmother had had a stroke and he needed to get to the parking lot where it happened. Hinkle said she was in the parking lot outside a local Hooters. He now faces a felony, the misuse of 911, to get a ride to Hooters. After three hours of searching for Hinkle's granny, she was not found anywhere near the Hooters. When she was found, she had not had a stroke. When young Mr. Hinkle was found, he was working on his girlfriend's car at Burger King in Florida. And finally, the fire and police departments in Anaheim, California, responded with haste to the reports of a hazardous material incident at the original Disneyland. A hazmat team rushed to the scene where 17 guests of the happiest place on earth had been covered in goose poop. Eleven adults and six children were splattered by the feces of geese flying over the Magic Kingdom right in front of Sleeping Beauty's castle. The fire department says everyone came away cleaned up, healthy, and happy. The police department says no crime was committed. But that seems debatable. I'm Buzz Burbank. Thank you for listening. And thanks for supporting the shows and sponsors at BuzzBurbank.com. I'll be back next Thursday with another Buzz Burbank News and Comments. The preceding presentation was brought to you by The Realm Network.